If you think you're going to start a business and you're not going to fail, if you think you're going to have relationships and not fail, like you're fooling yourself. So the quicker you can accept the fact that life is going to be hard, you're going to face resistance every single day, you're going to fail a lot, fail as fast as you can so you can learn from it and move forward, the faster you'll be successful in life. Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. This is your host, Jim Harshow Jr., and today I bring you Joe DeSena. After building a multi-million dollar pool and construction business in college and creating a Wall Street trading firm, DeSena set his sights on ripping 100 million people off of their couches by creating the Spartan lifestyle. Following his successful career on Wall Street, he moved his family to Pittsfield, Vermont to operate an organic farm, a bed and breakfast, and a general store for hikers. And it was there that his passion grew for ultra marathons and adventure races and endurance events. And that's where the idea of Spartan was born. And he started the company in 2010. They now have 270 events all over the world in 40 countries. Spartan offers heats for every fitness level you can imagine. I just did a Spartan Beast, which is a half marathon. There are about 30 or 32 obstacles in the event. It was absolutely awesome, extremely hard, but it was, it was a lot of fun. I actually highly recommend you check out Spartan races. But I, the other thing I recommend is there's three episodes. If you really like what Joe says here, because this is absolutely amazing. He takes this, this idea of doing hard things for you to like, how do you actually do this with your family? How do you do this as a parent? And Joe's pretty extreme. And he shares some pretty crazy things that he does with his family. You don't have to do that, but you can embrace this mindset and see how it works for you. But there are three episodes that I want to recommend that if you like this, you're going to love these other ones too. Episode 312 with Michael Easter. He's the author of The Comfort Crisis. It's an amazing book. And episode 275, that's with Dave Redding. He's the founder of F3, which is a men's fitness workout group. Always free. It's always outside. Always peer-led. Open to any man. Anyway, check out f3nation.com. And then I interviewed Joe way back in episode 27. So if you want to hear what I sounded like when I was just a beginner at podcasting, you can go back and listen to that one. All right, let's dive in my interview with Joe DeSena. The pandemic has been obviously destructive to a lot of businesses. How has a company based almost solely on in-person events survived the pandemic? Man, it's been tough. This has been the toughest uh, two years of my life. We were on top of the world. We had finally, after 15 years, we were profitable. I put my head down. I would not quit. We, we bought out our competitor, who was a very formidable competitor, Tough Mudder. It was like, man, we could do no wrong right before the pandemic. And then the world shut down. As a matter of fact, I was with Gerard Butler and the producers of the movie 300 in Sparta, Greece, lighting the torch for the Olympics. And the frigging country got shut down. I, I couldn't have been any higher. And I got knocked down below ground. I mean, we lost so much money. We had to shut down events. We had customers pissed off, vendors pissed off that we couldn't pay. And we're not completely out of the woods yet. You're going to love this. Last week, I had to go overseas. We had our world championship in Abu Dhabi, which had been pushed a year. And I was just telling somebody within, within a week, I was with the president of a country, the prime minister of another country, the, the IOC, uh, his majesty in Abu Dhabi. I was like, 
and, and out in the middle of a desert, like, and so I'm like, I got to pinch myself. No matter how bad it gets, it's still unbelievable. Yeah. You know? You built something special, man. I mean, people gravitate to the brand. I mean, why, I guess, is the question. Why do you think people gravitate to a brand that, I mean, it's different than Tough Mudder. I mean, Tough Mudder was, uh, I hate to say it, but, you know, it's, it's, it was more of like a fun run kind of thing. You know, it was hard, but you know, it wasn't a Spartan. You screw up in the Spartan race, which I just did a, a beast a couple of weeks ago. You screw up and you're doing burpees. I mean, you're paying the punishment and, it, and it's not fun. It's like wrestling, the sport of wrestling. It's not fun. It's maybe the most rewarding sport, I think. But that's, that's what your brand is. That's what Spartan races are. I mean, why do you think people gravitate towards hard? We were just talking about it because one of my dreams was to be out in the middle of a desert, like real desert where there's no way out, you know? You remember the cartoons when you were a kid, like, is that an oasis? Is that real? Is it fake? Am I dying? I don't have water. And just wanted to know, like, how would I survive out there? And I've done some crazy runs all over the world, but never have I been like, this was in the middle of Abu Dhabi, the empty quarter, they call it. The dunes are exactly like you'd see in, in a movie, you know, Lawrence of Arabia. And um, it was hard. And people out there were suffering at the race. And, and so I asked myself the same question, why? Why are they so attracted to hard? And I guess my answer is, if this was 150 years ago, and you and I were having this conversation in India, or someplace pretty rugged 150 years ago, out west, trying to build a railroad, living in the mud, I would say, you know, why do people want couches? Well, we want couches because like we live a pretty uncomfortable life. Like we're just trying to survive. And I think the pendulum has swung so far the other way. We're so comfortable. Everything's right at our fingertips. Life is so friggin' easy. Even when we think it's hard, it's easy. That deep down, we have a desire to go act like a human being and breathe. And, and you know, it's biological. It's meant like... First of all, we have to do it to feel fit and healthy, right? We have to do something hard. We have to perspire. We have to breathe heavy. Mentally, we just feel good. I, I always tell people, especially pe people understand that have dogs and cats or pets, right? Like if you came home and your dog was on the couch and your dog was smoking a cigarette with her legs crossed, maybe watching Oprah, painting her nails, you would say, what happened to my dog? This is craziness right? Versus if you came home and your dog was running outside and it maybe was chasing a squirrel and it was muddy and wet, you'd say, oh, that makes sense. And we forgot somewhere along the line that we are the dog. We're animals. We're animals. And, and just because we dress up in some fancy clothes and drive fancy cars and pull into Starbucks doesn't change the fact that we're animals. And so animals need to breathe and perspire and chase and challenge and sweat. And like, anyway, I don't know if I answered the question well, but that's the way I think about this a lot. Yeah. So I, I interviewed Dave Redding, who's the founder of F3, who I think you know, or at least have interacted with. And he said this quote that just has really stuck with me. He said, maybe in the hearts of men, we don't want everything to be so easy. And I think it's for men and women. I mean, his is a men's, it's a men's fitness group. But I agree with that, right? There, there's something primal. There, you know, there's something that feels good about hard, right? I remember when I interviewed you last, years ago on this podcast, you said, 
if we architect a little bit of discomfort into our lives, we can be happy just eating a cracker in the rain. And I believe that. And I believe there's a piece of us that, that wants hard. Yeah, it's, it is funny, right? If you have everything, you appreciate nothing. If you have nothing, you appreciate everything. And, and those moments in my life where I've had nothing at all, you become so appreciative of sleeping on a rock. Literally, I've slept on rocks and, and said to myself, this is the most comfortable like I've ever been just because I was that tired. Or, or you eat that cracker and you say, this is the greatest cracker because you're that hungry, right? Or some war-torn blanket that you put on that's dusty and you're like, oh, this is so warm because you're that cold. And it's a nice place to be when you appreciate stuff, but you can only really appreciate it if you strip some stuff away. And by the way, the ancient philosophers, the Stoics, you know, they knew it. They would purposely put themselves in tough situations, manufacture some adversity just to kind of be grounded and just to appreciate. So this is going on for thousands of years. We just happen to express it in this modern world, you know, with barbed wire and fire and walls and, and you know, it's very military-esque. People love it. I mean, can you imagine? Like, I met a guy this weekend in Abu Dhabi from Idaho, and he comes up to me and he starts, he's, oh, Joe, he didn't know I was going to be there. And he says, oh, my God, you changed my whole life. And I said, come with me because I've heard these stories 100,000 times and I, want, I like to capture them. And so I said, don't tell me anymore. And the cameras start rolling. And he's like, I'm from, I, I've never left Idaho. Like, I don't know how you got me here, but I read your book, Spartan Up. And I don't know, I got excited. I was extremely overweight. My wife was overweight. She couldn't get pregnant because we were so unhealthy. And then all of a sudden we started doing Spartans. We lost all this weight. We got healthy. She got pregnant. We had one kid. We had two kids. We had three kids. And I looked down as he's telling the story, he's missing a leg. I didn't even notice that on the way in. And I'm like, what happened to your leg? And he's like, oh, you know, I was a kid and the tractor ran over my leg and took, you know, I got a prosthetic and he felt alive and he probably would have never left Idaho and he would have never lost that weight. Right. And so it's powerful. And then you say, why do people need the race to do that? And I'll tell you why. On the way home from Abu Dhabi, we, it looked like uh, we landed in Paris and it looked like we were going to miss our flight. So my, my chief operating officer and I start running like anybody would, right, to make the flight. And we're running and you're completely out of breath. I'm going as fast as I can. I got my bag on my back. And it occurs to me at that moment, literally yesterday, it occurs to me, if the plane wasn't leaving in a minute, we wouldn't be running like our lives depended on it. And so if you don't have like a reason to lose that weight, like this gentleman, he said, he said, everybody told him when he lost his leg, like your life's over, right? That's it. But the plane was leaving. He had signed up for a race and the clock was ticking. And so he had to do the hard side. He had to lose weight. He had to go to bed early. He had to wake up early. He had to put down the cookie, you know? And so it's a shame, but us humans, aside from just a few of us, really don't do the work unless the plane's about to leave. Yeah, unless you have to. And the reasons are there. There's plenty of reasons there, but often we, we're distracted by these things, these phones that we have in our pockets and all the other busyness that we have in our lives. We're trying to make money and parenting, which we're going to get to here in a second. And it's easy to lose sight of that stuff. So building this into your day, building adversity and hard stuff into your day, running for the airplane and doing Spartan races, like finding that reason that you have to do something hard is healthy and something we all need. And so you create 
this amazing brand, this company or worldwide, and you decide to write a book about something else that's really hard, which is parenting and families. And you have the, your new book, 10 Rules for Resilience, Mental Toughness for Families. You know, a Spartan race is one thing, right? There's a start, there's a finish. It's predictable, mostly. There was an obstacle in the beast that I did a couple of weeks ago that I was not prepared for. Got it. It was the one where it has the, the rock climbing holds. You got to reach up and grab the holds and there's no leg places to put your legs. You just got to muscle yourself up for the first few. Wasn't expecting that one. But they're, they're mostly predictable, right? Parenting is totally different, right? I think, oh, I, I know that the number one motivator for us uh, humans is the avoidance of discomfort. And it's kept us alive on the planet for a long time. We don't fall off cliffs. We don't freeze to death, right? We don't melt because we're constantly avoiding discomfort consciously and subconsciously. And as parents, it's uncomfortable to take the phone away from your kid or not give your kid a phone at all. It's uncomfortable to have your kid work out every morning. Believe me, I've been doing it for 11 years, waking them up every morning, seven days a week. It's uncomfortable to make the kids learn a second language. I've been doing it for 11 plus years. It's hard. They push back. People think you're nuts. Your wife thinks you're nuts. Your family thinks you're like, it's hard to give out whole wheat bread on Halloween and not candy. Did you do that? Yeah. And you're a jerk, mister. You know, like, well, we don't want to be uncomfortable, but we're not raising friends. Like our goal isn't for them to like us and end up living in the basement uneducated and not being able to move forward. Like we're raising adults and to raise adults requires you to be extremely uncomfortable, like the obstacles in a, in a Spartan race. So the point of the book was just to wake up people and say, Hey, it's okay to do the hard thing with your family. It doesn't matter that people are going to you know, look at you, including your kids in a weird way. Like, that's your job. That's what you signed up for. So uh, do your job, right? Because otherwise we're going to, as a species, we're really going to be screwed. I mean, we're already a lot softer than we were 100 years ago, 1,000 years, right? Who could join the Lewis and Clark expedition right now? No one. So Talk about that routine, the, the morning routine you do with your family. Yeah, so early in the morning, I wake them up. This morning, uh, no exception, right? Like, I get up uh, before five. I try to get a half hour workout in before I wake them up. Woke them up this morning, 5.30. I had one of those speakers that, that tethered to your phone through Bluetooth. I started playing some really hard heavy metal music, got the dog barking, turned the lights on, and I start pulling kids out of their bed, and, and it's a battle. And 5.45, their workout starts, and uh, I figured I'd work out alongside them because I haven't been home for, you know, 10 days. So I'm working out alongside them and it's a fight. And, you know, my wife's getting things ready for school in the kitchen and she's looking at me every single day for like, I'm a nutcase and I'm yelling at my daughter to do more pull-ups and she's not allowed to leave the garage until she gets like, that's it every single day, everywhere we've lived. And invariably, as crazy as this sounds, because I know you're listening or watching this thing and you're like, this guy's nuts. Everywhere we live, we lived in Japan as a family. We lived in Singapore. We lived in Vancouver. We lived in Boston. We've lived in Vermont. Everywhere we've lived, families that live near us drop their kids off with me in the morning. I don't ask them to. They start finding out from my kids. They work out in the morning. Before you know it, 
other parents are pushing off the workload of that fight to me because they don't want to deal with it because it's uncomfortable. And so, first of all, this was like a normal, again, this was normal years ago. This is not abnormal. It was normal for humans to wake up and forage for food. By the way, if the kids really focused on the workout I give them, it would take them like seven minutes to finish what I asked them to do. But instead, right, they're kicking and they're screaming and they don't want to do it. And so it takes 45 minutes. But they're fit. And when the school has a one-mile running test, all of a sudden, you know, my kid wins it. Not because he runs, but because they just get up and exercise every day. It, 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 it's not even that hard to win these things anymore. So if you're the listener and you're like, I want to do this more, but my spouse isn't on board. I'm asking for a friend, by the way. How do you have that conversation? How do you, how do, you do this if, there, if that causes friction in the home otherwise? Well, you got to just do it, right? You could can, can talk about things forever. I got lucky in the first few years we started it. We lived on the farm in Vermont and the barn next door to the house was the place where we did the workouts. And that's where the kicking and screaming and crying was going on. And so my wife didn't hear it. Then after it was established, after years and years and years that we were doing this, now she hears it. Now she sees it firsthand. And it's, it's a complete insanity every morning. But I think her and I both agree. It's kind of like brushing your teeth. Like it's just, it's got to get done. And a parent, including myself or yourself, that doesn't feel like doing it that day doesn't mean that we shouldn't be doing it. We just don't feel like doing it that day. It's not weird that the kids don't want to do it. Nobody wants to do hard work. We're motivated by the avoidance of discomfort. So I tell my kids when, when they're pissed off about it or whatever, like, or even when my wife and I have a discussion about it, like, hey, when they're in college, they'll do what they want. But for now, <laughs> here are the rules. Yeah, you're setting a standard. Quick interruption. Hey, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to get the notes, quotes, and links in the action plan from this episode. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. That's jimharshawjr.com slash action to get your free copy of the action plan. Now back to the show. Sometimes I think our kids also want hard, like at some level, right? When they're done, everybody's happy. Everybody loves a workout in hindsight. I mean, I got, got up, man, last week, man, I was just not feeling. I got up and it was like five o'clock and I had to go run with my buddy and half I did. And I was like, man, I just didn't feel it that day. It was painful. And I'm like going down the stairs, like questioning, like, do I really want to do that? Is this worth it? Maybe I need more rest, you know? <laughs> and every time I say that, every time the workout's done, I'm like, man, am I glad I ever did that, you know? And I think there's piece of that in kids as well, right? They don't understand it maybe as deeply. Maybe they have hadn't you know, brought to this conscious level like we're talking about right now. But there was a story in your book where you talk about a kid who you bump into the father and you're telling him about this 300-mile bike ride you're going to go on and the kid's eyes kind of light up and you ask the kid if he wants to go and the father's like, no, 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 no. Tell us about this. Yeah, I mean, it, happened, it happens a lot. I'm always recruiting somebody to do something with me. And... um I was with a couple of friends of mine. They're old football players, not, not they're my age, football players. And they were reminiscing on their, you know, Penn State stories. And the, the son of one of the gentlemen was at the dinner with us. And he was a smaller kid. He probably wasn't going to ever become a football player. And that night, I was planning on biking from New York City to Vermont. When I would do that, I normally leave, you know, around 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. And so I saw the kid. Like, he just wasn't feeling part of this dinner. And I said, hey, why don't you 
you know, why don't you do this bike ride with me? Well, I've never really biked more than 20 miles. That's ridiculous. How could I go 300 miles on a bike ride? I said, you'd, you'd be surprised what the body could do. I get you through it. If you want, well, I don't have a bike. Well, I get your bike. It's nine o'clock now. We're almost done with dinner. I got some friends in New York City. They'll drop off a bike for us if you want to do it. And I convinced them to do it. And over the next, you know, 27, 28 hours, whatever it was, we bicycled together from New York City to Vermont. Uh, has to be, well, certainly at that time, was the biggest thing this kid had ever done and changed the trajectory of his life forever. We could talk about a hundred stories like that that I've done with my kids or other kids or people. Or There's a guy named Michael Wardian. Here's a great story. We're at the finish line in the Bahamas. We had rented a cruise ship and I put a race on in the Bahamas. Everybody came out on a cruise. And I'm at the finish line. And I meet this guy, Michael Wardian, who's a um, big time trail runner, world record holder, an amazing guy. And never done a Spartan race before. And he's like, oh my God, I'm exhausted. That was amazing. And we just start talking about his career and things. He's like, someday I'm going to set the 50K world record on a treadmill. And I go, really? Why someday? He goes, well, you know, I got to set up. I said, why don't we do it right now? We'll go on that cruise ship. We'll go in the gym. We'll set it up. We'll film it so it's recorded. And I convinced him to do it. So we literally leave the finish line, swim to the boat, get on the boat, get in there, runs the thing. We high five. He did it. He breaks the record, right? Next morning, we're having breakfast on the cruise. And he comes up and he looks like miserable. I'm like, what's up, Mike? He goes, you won't believe it. He goes, I, I misread the record. I was off by a minute. I was like, oh, my God, we did all that work. I go, you know what you got to do, right? He goes, no, what? I go, we got to go back in the gym right now. We got to go set the record right now. And he did it. And we set the record the next morning. So... I, again, I could tell you hundreds of stories like that. I have very few abilities, in, but one ability I have is getting people to do really challenging things. We were just reminiscing on some of these stories the other night. So a lot of people don't visit me for that reason. We have these limiting beliefs, right? We just have so many limiting beliefs about what's possible. And when we have them as parents, as adults... We're, we're passing them along to our kids. I mean, we have to live the, If we want our kids to be resilient and have grit and be tougher, we have to role model it, right? We have to role model it. The kids are watching us. It's not just what we say. It's what we do. This year at our kids' death camp, we have a kids' death camp on the farm in Vermont that I've been doing for a couple of years now. Uh, the last day of it, I'm going to have the parents show up. And the last day, the parents and the kids are going to do it together because the last thing you want, you don't want your kids coming home and saying, oh, mom, you could never do this. Dad, you could never do. You, you want them to know that like, no, this is what, you know, if we had a family em emblem, a, a crest, it would say hard work in it, right? That's what we stand for. doesn't matter win or lose. It matters that we work hard because if you teach children that, then they can do anything. If you're willing to work hard, you can do anything. Yep. What about nature? I mean, what, what's nature have to do with this? I mean... You said in the book, you said you can't build true resilience without nature. Why? What do you mean by that? Studies have been done. It's not just me. Studies have been done. Same workout that Michael and I did on that treadmill, that 50K on that cruise ship I just described. When the scientists look at it, that person, that male or female gets more out of doing the same thing outside. And it's obvious we weren't meant to be cooped up in a house. I mean, just think about your dog trapped in the kitchen or a bird in a bird cage. 
right? We are meant to be outside in the rain and the cold and the heat. And so if you want to teach your kid to live on a phone and in front of a computer and be afraid of walking in the woods, well, it's a huge mistake. And with every passing generation, that's where we're going. Thankfully for me, for my family, they were all born on a farm in Vermont. So, you know, they're probably more comfortable in the woods than they are in New York City. And that's a good thing because, I mean, people don't even use sidewalks anymore, let alone trails, you know? In the book, you talk about failure. You said if there's one thing you want people to get out of this book, it was to know that our ability to face obstacles and fail forward and learn from mistakes is success in disguise. Like failing is succeeding. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, you were a wrestler, right? My kids wrestle. And I remember um, not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, three, whatever, my older son, you know, lost a match. And he was pissed off. And I said, well, you probably got to lose another two or 300 matches <laughs> before you get good. I mean, that's just I mean, like, so in life, it's just really part of the process. If you think you're going to start a business and you're not going to fail, if you think you're going to have relationships and not fail, like you're fooling yourself. So the quicker you could accept the fact that life is going to be hard, you're going to face resistance every single day, you're going to fail a lot, fail as fast as you can so you can learn from it and move forward, the faster you'll be successful in life. Who's been really successful without tons of failure? No one. Whether it's an athlete, again, a mom, a dad, a business person, like you got to fail a lot. But it's okay for other people. When we look at success stories. And that's, that's what I talk about on this podcast is success through failure. We see it in other people. Go, ah, wow. They got to where they're at because of failure, right? Failure was like necessary along the path. It was part of the learning, part of the process. But when we fail, it's like, well, wow, this sucks. This hurts. Um, it creates limiting beliefs. It makes us feel like, ah, maybe I'm not good enough or not smart enough or not capable enough. If that kid who went on that 300 mile bike ride with you, if he failed, there's like a lesson that he has to be taught. Like, hey, like you got further than, than you would have. Or, okay, now you know that you need a different bike or to train, to prepare, or whatever. Like Michael Easter, who I know you've had on your podcast. I had him back on episode 312, I think it was. I had Michael Easter on talk about the comfort crisis and the misogi, like that concept of like trying to do something that has a 50% chance at success, 50%. You might fail. I think most of the stuff I do has like a 30% chance of success. <laughs> I set the bar pretty high. I, I definitely go after crazy stretch goals and then fight like hell to try to make it work. How do we internalize the fact that failure is okay for me, not just for other people, but for me, like, like for the listener who's sitting there and they're going, yeah, it's easy for you to say Joe, but in Jim, but you know, I've tried to lose that, that 30 pounds 10 times now, and it's never worked for me. I've tried to have a healthy relationship. I've tried to launch a business this many times, but easy for you to say, I don't have the connections. I don't have the background. I didn't have the upbringing. I don't, you know, they have all the excuses in the book. I and mean, what do you say to that person right there? What can they do? I heard the greatest line recently. My old answer to that, if, when that person told me that was, um, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're never going to make it. Might as well just pack it in. Kill yourself. I, I say that facetiously, obviously. Recently, though, I heard an even better way to say it to a person, which is somebody else got handed the same deck of cards you did and they crushed it. You know, my dad said to me when I was a kid, move that rock 
there was a bunch of guys working on this landscaping job and I was trying to move this rock all day. I couldn't move it. I came back. I said, dad, can't do it. It's too big. Can't be done. He said, that's okay. He goes, I'll get somebody who can. And that just changed my life. Like there's somebody else can do it and I could do it. Why do so many records get broken after one person breaks the record? Right. It's all, it's all here. It's the six inches between the ears. Somebody with fewer qualifications, less education, uh, less of a network, less money, uh, worse upbringing, harder background, more excuses than you has done the thing that you are wishing and hoping that you could accomplish. The failure really is not understanding that the person that starts out with less and has it harder actually has the advantage. You know, I call it like they're fighting for milk. Right. Somebody, you can't compete with somebody fighting for milk. I had a friend, he was going to wrestle in um, somewhere in Eastern Europe, Russia. I don't know where it was. And uh, he got there. And first thing he did was get a workout in and go in the sauna. And it turns out his competitor, the guy who was going to wrestle the next day was in the sauna also. And, you know, they sat in the sauna, sat in the sauna, and they're probably staying in there longer than they should because one guy didn't want to leave. And his competitor from this Eastern Bloc country got out of the sauna first and went over to take a shower and he could see out the glass of the sauna door, the shower. Well, the shower had a, just a pipe coming through like a rock wall and it had ice all around it and it was ice cold and the guy didn't even flinch. That was the way he showered every single day. And that broke my buddy, just seeing that. So that guy could be saying, I didn't have any advantages. I only take cold showers. That was the advantage. All the things you're saying are disadvantages are actually advantages. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine wrestled overseas over in Siberia and he trained at their Olympic training center before this tournament. And he's like, the, the food that we got was like a broth with a couple of noodles in it. He goes, when we competed in the arena, he's like, you could see our breath. We had to have our, our, our jackets and winter hat and gloves on while we were warming up and then peel it off real quick and go out there and wrestle. He's like, it was, it was terrible. But you go to the Olympic training center in the United States and it's, you know, it's shiny. It's I've trained out there a bunch of times and it was it was beautiful, top of the line food and everything, but they went over there and they got their asses kicked, right? So it's, it's all about what you make of it, you know, and you talk about being hungry and fighting for milk. It's like, well, well, if, if you grew up rich and soft, that can also be your unfair advantage. You can say, Hey man, I want something hard. I need something hard. I'm looking for a challenge. You can make whatever you want. You can choose your advantages or your disadvantages and make them your unfair advantages. It's all about, it's all about your choice. You choose how to react to the hand you're dealt. And if you view it as an advantage, you'll do well. If you view it as a disadvantage and you complain about it and you create excuses, you'll be doing that for 30 years. So Joe, I got a question. I want to pivot a little bit. I get this question I've been thinking about a lot, talking with a lot of people about it. I want to throw this at you. One of my clients, Matt Black, he was actually a college wrestler as well. He just ran his first marathon a couple months ago. And then he ran his second marathon a week later. And it was hard. He said that would have been preposterous for me to even consider, you know, uh, even a year ago. But he got himself to the point, ran a marathon, ran a second one. And then he said, he goes, doing hard physical things, he goes, for me, is, it's, it's almost cheating. He goes, it's like, I can do hard physical things. Like, there's, there's that. Like, he's like, I can check that box all day long. He goes, I want to apply that to other areas of my life. You know, business, relationships, parenting other areas of his life. And that makes a lot of sense. Like, I feel the same way. And I think a lot of 
a lot of people that you and I probably hang around with, like doing hard things, it's not easy, but it's, it's, it's simple, right? How do we take that mindset and go, okay, I'm going to do the hard thing as a father, as a mother. I'm going to do the hard thing as a spouse. I thought about it this weekend in Abu Dhabi. I thought, you know, this really stressed our team. This was really hard on our business to like put on an event in the middle of the desert. And then I reflected and I said, wait a minute, I'm asking people to do hard things relative to their life. So it'd be easy for us to put on an event at Killington, Vermont, right? It's easy for us. Like, it's hard to be airdropped into the middle of the desert. And so we have to do the things that make us really uncomfortable. And to your buddy's point, if you've been doing those things for a long time, they become easy. And so then you have to do something else that's like you have to constantly make yourself uncomfortable. I know that sounds ridiculous. I know it sounds crazy, but it's only then that you grow. And I think you have to do it in these other areas too. You can look at these other areas. Any, anything that is uncomfortable, anything you have to do. Excellent. Joe, the book is phenomenal. And for the listener, it takes these, these stories, these 10 rules for resilience and not only are there fantastic stories and real life examples and, and takeaways for you, the adult, the grown up, the parent, listener, but also for you as a father, as a mother, as a family member to, to apply to your life as a parent. So, Joe, the book's amazing. Can you share with the listeners where they can buy the book, where they can find the book, where they can learn more about you, follow you, buy your other books, et cetera? You could shoot me an email. Just keep it one sentence. Joe at Spartan.com. You can find me on Instagram. I think it's Real Joe DeSena at Real Joe DeSena. The book is everywhere books are sold. 10 Rules for Resilience. We've got a podcast, Spartan Up, which I do basically what you do, but I, I think I do 15 or 20 minutes be, just because I'm, we're so busy in places like Abu Dhabi. I don't have time. But, but what's interesting that I'm sure you found is with our podcast, for me, you know, let's say I've done 800 of them, whatever the number is, I've gotten 800 nuggets from people that it's really helped me, you know, and, and selfishly, like if nobody listens to the podcast, like I'm a lot smarter because of it. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I call that in my coaching program, the environment of excellence. It's like, who are the people you're surrounding yourself with who are, are pouring information into you? That's it. You're awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, Joe. It's great seeing you. Thanks for your message for the listener, all the links, everything to the book, to social media. It's going to be in the action plan. Go to jimharsherjr.com slash action. Joe, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening. If you want to apply these principles into your life, let's talk. You can see the limited spaces that are open on my calendar at jimharsherjr.com slash apply, where you can sign up for a free one-time coaching call directly with me. And don't forget to grab your action plan. Just go to jimharshowjr.com slash action. And lastly, iTunes tends to suggest podcasts with more ratings and reviews more often. You would totally make my day if you give me a rating and review. Those go a long way in helping me grow the podcast audience. Just open up your podcast app. If you have an iPhone, do a search for success through failure, select it, and then scroll the whole way to the bottom where you can leave the podcast a rating and a review. Now, I hope this isn't just another podcast episode for you. I hope you take action on what you learned here today. Good luck and thanks for listening.